The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should consider obtaining independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Aaron Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers Podcast. Today we are catching up with John Lamb, Executive Chairman and CEO of Myanmar Metals, which trades under the code MYL. It was last quoted at 4.3 cents for a market cap of about 80 million. John was promising all of us last year that 2020 would be a watershed year for the company as it sets about redeveloping the historic, or distinguished as the company likes to call it, Boardman project in Myanmar's Shan State. And I guess it is distinguished given it was once one of the world's great lead silver zinc mines with a production history that dates back to the 15th century when Chinese Garamperos mined it for silver. I understand Boardman is the local language for silver mine. Close to the home, Boardman is where the late and great Sir Frank Espy of Rio Tinto fame was born with his father having taken over managing the operation just after the turn of the last century from a future president of the United States, Herbert Hoover. In the modern era, it continues to attract the big names. And there I'm thinking about its 12% shareholder, explorationist extraordinaire, Mark Creasy. More on all that in a moment. First up, I'm going to say good day to John and welcome him to the podcast and thank him for his time today. Welcome, John. Hello, Barry. It's great to be with you. Great. Right, John, before jumping into the project and why 2020 is shaping up as a big year for the project and the company, can I get, get you to give us a rundown on your background before arriving at the company? Sure. Well, I'm a uh, dyed-in-the-wool miner. I started in uh, 1988 underground as a surveyor's assistant at the Renison Bell Tin Mine. So um, uh, that was a, a long time ago, 30-odd years now. Mm-hmm. And uh, over my career, spent plenty of time um, doing um, uh, base metals and gold mining, open cuts and undergrounds, and a fair bit of time in silver, lead and zinc at Rosebury um, and at Century. And uh, so that probably gives me some good background for the for the Boardwood project. Um, and uh, we came to that project, as you mentioned, through Mark Creasy. Mm-hmm. And that was a couple of years ago? Uh, three years now, three years, years. Uh, pretty close to three years on the ground in Myanmar for us now. Yes, that's correct. Okay. And what attracted you personally to the project? Oh, well, it's just one of those projects. I would say you would see one in a career, um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe two if you were lucky, but you just wouldn't, as a professional miner, you just wouldn't get the chance to bring a, a mine like this into being. Uh, you know, it's such a rare thing. You know, the mine is, uh, it, it has that distinguished history that you mentioned at the start. Uh, you know, we estimate that it's probably been in production for more like a thousand years, um, and yet there is still, um, uh, you know, a hundred million tons of jork resource that we've defined to go, and we are nowhere near defining the size of this deposit. Right. Uh, now, Myanmar as a location, does that hold any fears for you, or you see it uh, uh, perhaps a first mover advantage in the country? Look, very much the first mover advantage. Um, it's a, a challenging jurisdiction. Uh, it's not one that people know a lot about. 
um, you know, it was just starting to open up, I suppose, um, you know, some years ago, and uh, and then the US had some sanctions in place. Um, you know, that's all done and finished with. Uh, it's now had two terms of a democratically elected government, and this last term of five years, um, they were true, free, uh, open democratic elections. And that government uh, has now been very stable for this last five years, uh, and they have done an enormous job of stamping out corruption um, and turning Myanmar into the sort of place that it is safe and comfortable for uh, foreigners to invest. Uh, on just the very subject of investment, what does the company need to uh, do in terms of approvals to actually get the project into production? Well, the first thing to say um, is that the mine actually has a mining permit already and a mining mm -hmm. lease, and that dates all the way back to independence in 1948. So it was actually the original, um, the original tenement that Herb Herbert Hoover had um, all those years ago. So we're allowed to mine, um, and in fact, we're planning to do a little bit of pilot-scale work later this year to test things like logistics routes and that sort of thing. Um, but the major investment in the big project requires a permit from the Myanmar Investment Commission, uh, which we call the MIC for short. And that permit, which we expect to have in place later this year, really unlocks the project. It signs the government up formally to facilitate it, um, and it brings protections under international trade laws. So that is the key permit now that we have to get. Mm. And those protections under international uh, laws, um, uh, is Myanmar a signature to... A signatory to uh, you know, the various international agreements about these things? Yes, it certainly is. Um, so uh, once that permit is in place, and that's a binding contract really between the government and the, and the project proponents or ourselves as the, uh, as the proponent, I mean, it means that the project falls under the ASEAN-Australia-New Zealand Free Trade Agreement. And that's one of the strongest trade agreements mm -hmm. um, that Australia is involved in in terms of protection. It prevents nationalisation, confiscation, punitive taxation, all of those sorts of things. Um, and in the event of anything like that occurring, uh, you have recourse in the international courts uh, and, a, and a claim against the international assets of the Myanmar government. So it is a, it's a very strong protection. And what does it actually uh, achieve for you in terms of uh, when, once you have an operating mine, you're, you're free to uh, sell products uh, across the border into China if you... Uh, if that's the plan, retain profits, expatriate profits. So it's yeah, correct. That's right. Mm. Yeah, it is. It's very, very much the case. So it, it, it really allows us to, to use the mining lease that we already have um, the way you would expect to be able to use it. So it allows us to bring in the foreign capital. And, you know, we're talking something north of 300 million US dollars that needs to be brought to bear on this project to, to construct it. So it allows us to bring that capital in, allows us to build the mine, allows us to operate the mine, sell the products, and then repatriate the profits, subject, of course, to um, you know, taxes and royalties. Uh, but it allows all of those things to happen. It provides import and export permits for the goods that we need and for our outbound um, concentrates, uh, which we will export from the country. Um, and it provides... Uh, if you like a head, or it acts as a head permit for a whole raft of other things. So you, as you would imagine, and, and as we do in Australia, you know, you need permits to build a power station and permits to build a road and all of those things. They tend to be local authority permits. Well, it acts as a head permit for those things as well. So it's quite important. Mm. Just at a personal level, I was just wondering whether you get a bit of a buzz, perhaps, uh, about working on a project like this that in a, a country at the development stage that Myanmar is uh, can actually make a difference on uh, so many levels? Oh, absolutely. 
Uh, and there is nothing, in my experience, nothing like a mining asset to change a remote and otherwise impoverished area. I mean, we see it in Australia, and I've worked on some of those projects. And and, and if the project is, is, is developed the right way, if it's done with the proper principles of, of um, social responsibility, community involvement and environmental care, then you'll find that um, the local community benefits enormously. There'll be employment, and we're already seeing that. There are already jobs uh, that weren't there before. There are already health services that weren't there before, and there are already educational outcomes that are improved. Just in those sh- few few short years that we've been uh, active on the site, and there's much much more of that to come, of course. Okay. Does the country have much of a mining industry uh, currently? Not as much as you'd expect. I mean, it's it's an enormously prospective country, heavily or highly mineralized, uh, but largely underexplored. Um, in many cases, unexplored. Um, so the sorts of things that you would find in a place like Australia where you yeah. can go and, uh, and access, for example, um, geophysical maps that have been flown by government authorities, none of that exists. So you need to do all of that work yourself on the ground. Um, the industry itself is probably confined to a few very large players, and most of those are Chinese or Chinese state-owned entities, uh, and then a whole raft of, of very small sort of local operations and artisanal operations, very little in the middle. Um, so I would describe it as a, an immature um, mining industry, and that's something that the government wants to change. And this project, mm. the Baldwin project, will be the flagship of that change, and that's one of the reasons why it is so important that it is done well. It needs to be done uh, to international good good practice, uh, which is what we bring to the table. It needs to be done technically well. It needs to be done environmentally well. It needs to be done, obviously, socially um, with community involvement to the, the right level. Um, but it also shows the way uh, that a foreigner can interact with local partners. So it, mm. it describes what that partnership should look like. And it allows the government to set the bar for future projects. And, and we believe, uh, and we've had discussions uh, you know, with government on this, that, that this is actually uh, the chance to, to reset the bar, to re-establish uh, the mining industry uh, and bring it forward. Mm. Uh, we touched on um, what might come of first mover status earlier. Uh, I understand you uh, picked up some prospective ground uh, recently uh, in recognition, I guess, of being there for three years and advancing a project. Absolutely, that's quite correct. Um, and and one, of, one of the things we do find in Myanmar is that uh, anything that is obviously mineralised, so anything uh, where the ore body uh, is outcropping uh, or where people have, um, for example, had a, perhaps a small discovery or small artisanal mining in the past, it tends to be in private hands. Um, they don't really know how to develop it. And obviously a, a company such as ourselves, we first mover advantage, as you say. We've demonstrated now for three years that we do what we say we're going to do. We're having good results. Uh, we are bringing into being this uh, this very large and very important mining project and we're beginning to get noticed in Myanmar. So we're finding that people are bringing those projects to us and saying, well, I've got this got this mm-hmm. ground, I think it's prospective, you know, perhaps you could take a look at it, you know, could we do something? And, and so um, we've been looking at a few of those and one of those um, caught our eye and that was um, the Locrian acquisition, which is uh, in, in progress at the moment. We're waiting on uh, the application areas to be granted. Once that's done, uh, we'll exercise our option and uh, we'll go exploring for gold. For gold, okay. Now, um, I guess at this point, it's for those who don't know, it would be great to get a snapshot of what uh, 
earlier, I think the PFS and some enhancement work you've done leading into uh, the release of a DFS and the issue of the, uh, the MIC. Uh, if we can just get a feel for how significant the project is in terms of production and likely costs and yeah, look, it's uh, it is it is a truly significant project. So it's um, as I said, it's a it's a one hundred million ton uh, jork resource at this stage. Um, you know, it's it's open at depth. And it's open along strike. It's even open, you know, in parallel loads to the west and to the east. So we don't know how big it's going to be, but you know, hundred million tons is a is a pretty good start. Now on that, we're planning a starter pit. Uh, we published a pre feasibility study on that. Uh, and it'll mine um, just shy of 25 million tonnes over a 13-year life, um, 2 million tonnes per annum, uh, although I note we are always looking to improve on that. Uh, and when we produce our final uh, feasibility that's uh, coming a little bit later this year, don't be surprised if you see that number um, larger. But mm -hmm. um, even as it stands, uh, the, the pre-feasibility, the production levels uh, would see this mine as the third largest producer of lead in the world. Um, and a top 10 silver producer. So it is a global scale project. Um, it's uh, it's very, very significant, very, very important for Myanmar um, and obviously um, a, a company maker for Myanmar Metals. Uh, you intimated there the potential that the DFS might uh, consider looking at a, a bigger treatment rate. Uh, I guess if you got off, say, up to around 3 million tonnes a year, you'd be sort of... Uh, Cannington size, which everyone would know was a great mine for BHP and now South 32 up in Queensland there. Correct. Yes, and, and Baldwin compares um, quite well to Cannington. It's, it's very similar deposit, um, similar similar metal, similar proportions of metals, um, you know, very high silver content uh, at Baldwin, uh, similar size. Uh, there's been a little bit of research published, um, you know, over the, the the preceding months that actually plots, uh, you know, Baldwin near Cannington on on various graphs. It's um, it is of that ilk uh, and it is of that status. Uh, and uh, you know, so it deserves to be developed uh, in the right way, which is what we're all about. Right. So, looking at the milestones as twenty twenty unfolds, first there will be the DFS, or does the you need the MIC first, or yeah, so look, for the first thing that probably the first and most important thing that's going to happen is is actually lodgement for the for the MIC. And and why I say lodgement is important because because of the way the MIC works. It's it's sort of the end of the process rather than the start. And it, yeah. it relies on the Myanmar Investment Commission. It's a little bit like the Foreign Investment Review Board in Australia, the FERB. Um, so it relies on the expert department, in this case, that's the Ministry of Natural Resources, to do all of the work. So by the time we have lodged, it means that we have demonstrated feasibility. Uh, we've shown our environmental and social governance through our environmental uh, and social impact assessment. Uh, we have agreed the terms of our legal agreement, our lease agreement um, with, with the ministry, and we've demonstrated our financial and technical capability. So we've, uh, we've been able to put all of those things on the table to the ministry's satisfaction before you get to, to lodging. So that's actually a, quite a key milestone because it, um, it means that that work has been done, the discussions have happened, the negotiations are complete, and you're now waiting to go through the, the sign-off process, which is, which is what the MIC oversees. So, so lodgement first, uh, and then we obviously wait. Um, a project of this size will certainly go to the Economic Committee, um, which is um, 
uh, the body that oversees the um, uh, very large investments. It's chaired by Myanmar State Councillor uh, Do An Sung Su Chi. Um, it may also go to Cabinet, uh, but uh, once it's been through that process, it's then signed off. Um, and that will then allow us to release the definitive feasibility study. Um, so it'll be sort of sitting and waiting in the sheds for the uh, MIC permit to land. At that point, the project is bankable and therefore the study as a bankable study can be released. Um, mm -hmm. We then set about finalising our financing and offtake arrangements. We're, we're well down the track with a number of parties on those already, as you'd imagine, uh, based on the work that's been done to date. Uh, once that uh, definitive study is done, once the MIC permit is in, we can finalise and sort of formalise those arrangements. Uh, and that will see us turning the first sod um, sometime toward the back end of this year. You know, I'd like to say, you know, September, October, around about that time, um, but um, the time frame's a little bit unclear um, through the government uh, sign-off phase. Uh, but it is, you know, the year that we go from uh, being a, a hopeful with our hands on a major resource at the start of the year to at the end of the year being in construction on one of the world's great mines. So it, uh, it really is a, a big year for us. Mm. Now, uh, capital cost is roughly three hundred million US, or so. uh, probably three three fifty or thereabouts. Uh, mm -hmm. Is is the number that I think we had in our uh, in our definitive study uh, in our um, pre feasibility study? Mm -hmm. And you don't see that as being a challenge for a, a company with a market cap of currently eighty mil. Well, it certainly wouldn't all be funded by shareholders' equity, that's for sure. No, no. <laughs> but um, look, I mean, there's, a, there's an old adage that good projects get funding, and, and this is certainly in that basket. Um, you know, we'll have a, it, it won't be conventional financing by any means uh, in, in Myanmar, but um, look, it'll be a mix of, uh, of, of debt and equity. The debt most likely is going to be related to um, product offtakes, I would have thought. You know, one of the things that uh, we have going for us is this enormous production stream from, um, you know, a very productive high-grade mine right from the start. Mm. Um, so the project is well able to service debt to very high levels. Uh, you know, the pre-feasibility study had a four-year payback, so it's, um, uh, you know, it's a, uh, a very robust project from, from that point of view. Um, and I've got no doubt that we'll, uh, we'll have no trouble uh, sourcing the finance. Mm. Now, I mentioned the, the market cap there again, but I was just wondering uh, if you looked uh, at a bit of the back of the envelope, if this project was, say, in uh, North Queensland or uh, in the Briar Basin of WA, do you think your market cap would be 80 mil? <laughs> well, there's a few answers to that question. The, the, the first is that if it were there, it would mm. have been mined a long time ago. Mm. Um, so, you know, that that's perhaps the first the first thing to say. The second thing is, no, look, I, I, I think that uh, our shares are chronically undervalued um, and it's, it's, a, it's a little difficult to see why that is. Uh, there's certainly a discount applied for the jurisdiction, but, um, you know, that is one hell of a discount. You know, if you look at the... Um, uh, the analysts' work that uh, that is out there at the moment, they're all valuing our shares much more highly than that. They're then applying what they think is a uh, a reasonable discount for country and they're still you know, a multiple of the current share price. So, you mm. know, it's a, uh, it, it's a question mark. Yeah. Do you see the uh, release or the, the grant of the from the MIC as being a major de-risking event? Well, look, I think it is. Um, I, I think it is seen as a major de-risking event because um, it, it signs the government up formally to assisting us to do the project. Because I guess, I guess the, um, 
the, the question is a little bit deeper and, it, and it's about sovereign risk and what it actually means. And, you know, I always unpack it for people um, and it's three things, you know, can I get it, which is about can I get a secure title? You know, mm. Can I keep it, which is about can I stop the title um, being lost, being the project being seized or, you know, nationalised or something like that? And finally, can I actually build and operate this thing in the environment that I'm in? And, and the MIC permit cuts across all of those in a very formal way. I mean, mm. we've already de-risked dramatically in those areas by the way we've set ourselves up you know use of in-country partners and that sort of thing but the MIC signs the government up formally um, it commits them to assisting uh, gives us the protections that I mentioned before under international law um, and it allows us to go and, and seek support from government departments and, and even from the military if that's necessary um, you know to do certain things and you know by certain things I mean for example um, a permit to um, uh, to carry and hold explosives on site, that actually falls under the um, under the auspices of the military in Myanmar. So, well, all of those things then become possible. So, it really is a, a it is a de-risking event, and and on the back of that, I expect to see a re-rate um, in the share price. Mm -hmm. uh, you do have partners in the project. Who, uh, who are they, and uh, what can they bring to the table? Look, we do, and and they are they're major players, both of them. Uh, so one of them is is Winmet Mo. Uh, Win Winmet Mo is um, uh, part of a, a large conglomerate that builds infrastructure, so um, roads and bridges and power stations and those sorts of things. Um, so they're a construction company. Um, they're a logistics company. Um, so they obviously have have brought their ability to lobby and their, um, their their contacts with government and their ability to do major projects um, to, to to bear. Um, they quite uh, quite obviously physically on the ground can do things like road construction and, and some of the build work on site so we're looking forward to that of course mm. uh, our other partner um, EAP uh, East Asia Power they are um, part of the Europe and Asia company uh, the Europe and Asia company is enormous it's the largest taxpayer in Myanmar uh, most of what it does is fast-moving consumer goods and uh, as part of that uh, they have a mining arm that provides things like manganese um, into their production processes and that's where EAP comes in. So so again you're talking about a, a, a major a major company, a dozen factories, 12,000 employees. Um, so these folks are, um, are serious economic participants already. And it mm. meant that uh, that when we arrived in country, really as a um, a relatively unknown foreigner, um, we were able to lean on their reputation, and uh, and that that opened doors for us that would have remained closed otherwise. Um, and of course, um, you know those folks have a great deal of expertise simply in doing business in Myanmar. You know how to get things done, and how to work with um, import and export agencies to get things across the border. Uh, those sorts of things. Um, it would take us an age to learn them. Uh, mm. you know, trial and error is one thing, but um, you know it gets very expensive in, uh, you know, in business. So um, I'd rather you know borrow their expertise. Right. Okay. Well, there we are, folks. The distinguished mine is on its way back. Uh, exciting year ahead for both the, uh, the company, the project and uh, the country it seems. So John, thanks for your time today and uh, good luck with it all. Thanks Barry, appreciate it. Cheers.